0: Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. For more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Man, the building looks so incredible. You can see all your hard work and your, your labor, and uh, man, what a what a beautiful uh, work you have done here to make this building look so nice. And the property, the uh, parking lot and everything that you've done I commend you for that great work and so 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 good to be back with you again and of course be with my friend Pastor Donovan and Pastor Valerie she's loving people back there in the back and and we love and appreciate them very much and I'm thrilled this time to have with my luscious is with me so if you've not met Lois luscious to me Lois to you Please meet her. In fact, why don't you just turn and wave at everybody? Let them see how beautiful you are. See there? <clears throat> they tell me that it's not that I'm a better preacher when she's with me, but they say that they say if you want to have revival, bring Tim Green in. If you want to have revival and fun. So I'm no fun, but Lois is here so we can have fun. <laughs> Amen. Would you look with me in the Word of God? to Matthew chapter 23, and we'll begin reading at verse 5. In the preceding verses, Jesus is telling the multitudes and us and the disciples that we should not be like the scribes and Pharisees who are all about their pride and their reputation. We pick up in verse 5 that all of their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, what I want you to know with that verse is saying is that they have religious rituals and ceremonies they go through. But they're making sure that their religious ceremonies make them look so spiritual. Verse 6. They love the uppermost rooms at feasts. See how important we are, right? And chief seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, or Rabbi, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your Father which is in heaven. See, now I think that we were all with this text. Up to verse 9. And Jesus says, Don't call any man on earth your father, for you have one father, and that's your heavenly father in heaven. I'm preaching today what has been absolutely the greatest revelation that I have ever received since I have been called of God to preach the word. And it has changed my life more than any other thing that I have learned in the Word of God since the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in my life. and I simply want to preach to you about daddy issues. Daddy issues. Now, I want to make sure that uh, immediately most of us are being like, oh, man, that's going to be so great for Bob, Joe, and Susie. But I, I want us to keep ourselves connected because before we're finished, I think that we'll all see we have daddy issues. And that we need a heavenly father to fulfill that place in our life. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This term, daddy issues, is an informal phrase for the psychological challenges resulting from an absent or abnormal relationship with one's father. There are certain things that fathers need to provide, should provide for their children. Such as unconditional love. <laughs> that means you can't do anything to earn more love from the Father. And you can't be bad enough to somehow. The Father The Father should love you without Your Father should love you without condition. Father should provide food and housing of some sort. Should provide proper teaching and discipline. Father should protect the well-being that's physically, emotionally, and absolutely protecting the spiritual well-being of his children. Father should spend quality time, give wise counsel, teach good work ethics, and on and on and on. We could make a list so long about what a father should preach or should do. In relationship with their child. And when fathers fail to do these things, deficiencies show up in the children that become landmark battles, that become challenges that they face for the entirety of their life. <clears throat> Not till they're 18, for the entirety of their life because deficiencies were in the foundation of their upbringing. Sexual perversions are often tied back to daddy issues. Emotional battles such as depression and anger, fear are often tied back to daddy issues. In fact, psychiatrists and psychologists tell us now that almost everything that we can find in deficiency in our life, most individuals will want to trace it back to daddy issues. These characters, in the word of God, many of them display the same battles that we have today, such as daddy issues. I could go through a list with you. The first child born to mankind, Cain, had severe daddy issues. He struggled with rebellion and hatred and anger to the degree that he killed his brother. Why? Probably because daddy is. And I don't know if he has a good excuse or not, but his father, Abraham, was never a child. Adam was created a full-grown man. Adam also never had a physical example of a father, so if there's any excuse, maybe he had an excuse. Others in the scripture would be Jezebel, Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, David, over and over. But Jacob is the one that grabs my attention. Jacob is born a twin, the youngest of twins. And when his older twin brother is born, the Bible says of Esau that he came from the womb, ruddy complexion, reddish, and hairy all over. Like Brother Gaston, every inch of me covered with hair. (laughs) He's, He's a newborn baby, and his daddy thinks he's a man's man at birth right and esau his 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 father treated esau that way he doted on him he loved him he was the special one and esau became a hunter of the fields and all of these things but his twin brother jacob not so much in fact the only time i can find jacob getting the love and respect that he needs from his father is when he dresses up like his brother Tries to talk like his brother. Goes to his blind daddy and acts like it's Esau. And then his daddy thinks it's Esau and blesses him and loves him. And shows the respect and value that he needs. Can you imagine? Daddy issues. It's no wonder Jacob even leaves that place where he was raised. And goes to the land where his mama was raised. And there he gets into immediate problem with marrying sisters. And then has children from two girls that are not part of his covenant relationship. I mean, he's got problems. It's why Jacob is looking for some way, somehow to prove that he has value and respect. Didn't get it from his father, so he's looking for it in women. It's why when he begins to head back home years later, he has to go across that brook and there wrestle with a theophany or an angel of God declaring that I cannot be the same that I have been before. I've got to be changed. Change me from Jacob, heel grabber, and make me Israel, a prince that has power with God. Let me say this. Every one of us, have stuff that we have to deal with. It don't matter if you was raised in the church, if your dad and your great-granddad and everybody for five generations were pastors and superintendents, all of us have stuff that we have to deal with. After we get the Holy Ghost, we still have stuff that we have to deal with. I recognize these creatures or these characters in the word of God as they struggle with the daddy issues that they must have dealt with because I too have struggled with daddy issues for most of my life. I my mom got the Holy Ghost when she was about 20 or 19 20 years of age in San Bernardino, California and in the evidently not too long before that in Miami, Florida. My dad, who was on some type of 60s motorcycle traveling around the world as a young 20-year older, got the Holy Ghost in Brother Dunn's church down in Miami, then came home to where his parents lived in San Bernardino. He began to attend the church there, and my mom's a new there, and he's new there, and immediately they began to recognize each other, and the pastor began to caution them. You know, both of you are brand new in the church, and you've got so many changes that are happening in your life. You probably need to slow this relationship down. And so they were married in six months. Yeah, and in case you're wondering, that's not slow. I'm trying to help pastor here when he says slow it down. That's not, that's not slow, okay? So six months they were married. Nine months to the night of their wedding, mom gave birth to what would be my older sister. They are only just months into their marriage, and now they've got a young baby. Mom becomes pregnant with me just two years later. And so she's only been married three years, three and a half years at the most. And her father, her beloved father, her she was daddy's girl. And he committed suicide with, with alcohol and drugs after an anger fight with his, what would be my grandma, his wife. And so while mom was pregnant with me, The dad that she loved so much committed suicide. And mom never got over it and never dealt with it. We've got to deal with things in our life. In fact, years later, mom would tell me that the way she dealt with deaths in her life was just acting like they're gone to a store somewhere. Oh, they're gone. They'll come back one day. It might be a long time, but they're just, you know, away. And that's how she tried to deal with the grief of losing her dad. So I was born into a situation where mom was crying and grieving and depressed almost every day from the loss of her dad, who was really probably her best friend, and she loved so much. And then just a short time, less than two years later, my dad was driving in a rainstorm in San Bernardino. Three o'clock in the morning or so, he careened off the road and hit a small tree and Seatbelt around his waist broke, his chest crushed against the steering wheel. Dad instantly went on to his reward. And what they didn't know at the time is that mom was now pregnant with what would be their third child. And so mom that had never get over the death of her dad, now two years later her husband is gone. And she's pregnant, got all these hormonal things like she did with me. And it was a tough, tough time in our broken family. As mom is trying to live with people in the church because she didn't feel comfortable living alone, the life insurance money that she had quickly began to ran out as she is just trying to find someplace somehow and getting by. And again, mom did not grieve very well at all with the loss of her dad or the loss of her husband, my, my dad as well. <coughs> Meanwhile, all the way across the United States and Georgia, was a man that got married, had two children, his wife got cancer. She also passed and went on to her reward. But because of the upbringing and violence and um, abuse in his past, he did not grieve well either the loss of his wife. Somebody thought it a great idea to get these two families that had similar situations and introduce them. And so my mom was introduced to the man that would be my stepdad one day. We're in California. He's in Georgia. Now, while there was an absolute lot of sympathy and empathy and understanding, neither family has grieved properly, and there's bound to be huge dysfunction. So the man that'd be my stepdad began to date my mom, and when I say date, it was (laughs) snail mail they write letters back and forth. There was landlines at the time, but a long-distance call from Georgia to uh, California, just a 30-minute call could be $45, $50 or more. That was a lot of money in the late 60s. And so you weren't there in the 60s. What are you amending that for? So we we were uh, just... Trying to put our lives back together. And dad actually came out one time to see mom. And then the next time he came out, he married her. So that first time he came out, grandma thought it was just a hoot to let me know. They all thought it best that he didn't meet me. So they kept me hidden the whole time that dad was in town, right? And then he came out again. They still didn't introduce me to him. It wasn't until he stood beside mom and said, I do. That they said, oh, by the way, here's your new stepson, meet Timbo. I don't know. Maybe I was just all boy, as they say. I, I'm not sure why they didn't introduce me yet. And so we moved to Georgia, and we began our life. It's us three kids from the Greens and then Uh, stepdad's name was Dudley. He had a daughter and a son that were slightly older than us. So, you know, five children. And it was absolutely dysfunctional. Now, I don't want you to think that, you know, we were in Hades. God had blessed us tremendously. and, And we're going to church and we're doing great things. But they never dealt with their stuff. So even while they're going to church, even while they're having great experiences in God, until you get serious and deal with your stuff, there's fallout. And so there was absolute dysfunction. What nobody in the church knew is the knockdown dragouts that would happen. And if anything happened in the house, some lamp broke or something, then it was World War III. It, your son did this. No, it was your daughter that did that. And separation and division and screaming and hollering and sometimes things were thrown. It was ugly because they had not dealt with their stuff and dysfunction was there. Mom and dad thought the best thing that they could do is bring two more children into this relationship. And so now we've got half-sisters. Now, when they were born, you've got to realize that they were angelic. They could do absolutely no wrong. And if you thought that they could do wrong, you were banished. It didn't matter If there was some kind of altercation between me and the half-sisters, it didn't matter who was right and who was wrong. I was coming out on the wrong end of a belt. Just because when they looked at me, it was the hurt of that former life. But when they looked at these half-sisters, this is a new beginning, a new time, a new family. And it was just natural because things weren't dealt with. Dysfunction is reigning. My stepdad was a very good man, but I cannot remember until after I was married, him ever telling me that he loved me. I can't remember him ever taking me fishing, playing football, any kind of sports with me. He was very busy. He had seven kids to feed. He was interested in cars and sci-fi. That was not my interest, and so we just didn't click. In fact, the first time that I can remember a man telling me he loved me was a man at the church. I was 15 years of age and we'd had a, I think, a watch night or a foot washing or something like that. And in that service, Brother feesman came up to me, wrapped his arms around me and said, Tim, I love you. Tears pouring down his face. And I'm thinking, you know, let me go pervert. And I'm thinking, why in the world would he say this to me? And even more so, why is my heart beating so fast? Why does this even matter to me? And struggling to get out of his arms, I ran over to the corner and I'm talking to God about what is going on. And why do I even care? Not even realizing how desperately I needed a father figure in my life. When I began my dating years, it was... Too much like Jacob for me to admit, really. Every girl I began to date, I began to tell them. I tried to be honest. I want to, date a, I want to date a million girls and go a million places. That's just what I told them all. But I also told them everything I possibly could to get them to fall head over heels in love with me. I wanted to get to know them. But I'm trying to find value and seeing if they will give their hearts and their lives to me. I quickly began to get a reputation in the church as a player. The boys hated me, and the girls loved me. Parents were afraid of me. I backslid for about three years and just expanded my search. This was the way I was raised and what I dealt with. There's a scripture that has given me hope through the years. It's Hebrews 4 and 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I've heard that scripture and I've said, Okay, God, if you really are a high priest, you can take me from where I am and connect me with God. So it doesn't matter how bad my past has been, how many mistakes I have made, how much failure has been in my life. I know that you can get me to God. But when I began to deal with my stuff, And actually said, you know what? Yes, I've had the Holy Ghost since I was five. I backslid for three years, but God brought me back. I'm living for him. But I'm telling you now, I still have stuff to deal with. When I began to deal with it, I looked at the scripture a little closely. And I said, okay, do you feel the very feelings of infirmities that I've dealt with? Do you have the thoughts that I've struggled with, being one that has struggled with daddy issues? Do you have the emotional struggle and pull that I have? So I began to look at what little examples we have at the life of Jesus Christ growing up, and I found something special to me. He had daddy issues. Now go with me. This is going to be very non-traditional. I promise you, though, that this would be very biblical. The first thing that we find, and we all know, is that... The mother of Jesus is pregnant outside of marriage. Now, that's no problem for us today because we all know the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and that was a child of God. We understand that. But they did not believe that then. How hard would it be if one of our precious young ladies began to show pregnancy and she said to us, Don't worry. Holy Ghost has overshadowed me. Well, none of us are going to believe that. And I can tell you, very few, if any, believed it in Mary's life. In fact, the man that she's engaged to decided he didn't want her. He didn't want the baby and he didn't want her anymore. And he wanted to put them completely away. It wasn't until God gave Joseph in a dream a message that this baby is from God and you are meant to raise her. That Joseph now changes his mind and marries this girl and begins to start a family. Now, traditionally, we have always said and thought, oh, Joseph is in now. He's jumping up and clicking his heels. Probably not. He probably resents that he has to muddy his reputation with the girl that cheated on him in his engagement. I know he's got a dream from God, right? But how many of us have got prophetic words and dreams from God, but when the journey gets a little long, we struggle a little bit. Is that really God talking to me or did I have too much pizza the night before I dreamed? We struggle with the dreams, and Joseph must have struggled as well. We find this in the family as later we find that the uh, siblings, the half-brothers and sisters of Jesus came to see him minister. But the scripture is very clear. They did not believe on him. In the family that he is raised in, his brothers and sisters did not think that he was the Christ. They did not think that his mama was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. They did not believe that he was Messiah. <coughs> My question is, <clears throat> where did they get that from? wasn't Mary because, you know, Gabriel stood before her, right? But maybe it was Joseph who at times in his life wondered, Is this really the Messiah? But the doubt that is in that family is spread throughout every sibling. And none of them at this particular time in ministry believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's a tough way to be raised. To have anointing and to have calling and to be a chosen of God. And none of your siblings or your family really believes in you. We get a beautiful picture of Jesus when he is 12 years old. And this is amazing that it's even recorded in the scripture. But Joseph, his stepfather, who must have been not only a carpenter, but some type of businessman, has a short period of time, maybe a two weeks, let's say two weeks vacation time. They go down to Jerusalem. They got to get back. He's a businessman. He's got things to do. They spend their vacation, they're headed back now toward Galilee, and they realize that 12 year old Jesus is not with them. They've been a full day's journey, and 12 year old. How would you feel when you lose your child at Walmart for 30 minutes? Panic, that's right. What about Six Flags for a full day? You know what we're thinking? We're thinking, oh, no, someone has kidnapped him and sold him into sex trafficking. He's bleeding in some ditch because someone mugged him for the $5 of allowance in his pockets. I mean, we're thinking the worst things, and Mary is struggling with these thoughts. In fact, the Bible says that they're tracing everything that they possibly could find, looking everywhere he could have been. It takes them three days to find. A 12-year-old boy has now been sleeping somewhere for three days, at least two nights, Eating somewhere all by himself. She is frantic. And when they come back to Jerusalem, they finally find him. And he's in the church. Blowing the minds of the pastor with his knowledge and his authority. And we are impressed. Everyone's impressed. I'll tell you who's not impressed. Mama. And when you read, this is is what she says. She comes up to him, and the first thing she says is not like, Oh my goodness, I love you so much, I miss you so much. She is feeling spiritual pressure as well, because she has lost the Messiah. And she comes up to him, and she begins to tear into him. And she tells him how selfish, you read it, And how immature he has been. That he is thinking about nothing except himself. Haven't you thought about me? Haven't you thought about your father? All you've been thinking about is this immature stuff that you're trying to do right now. And when she rebukes him, 12-year-old Jesus turns to her and rebukes her on two levels. 12-year-old boy rebuking his mama. And this is what he says. Is don't you know. Which means this. I understand that perhaps my siblings don't believe who I am. And maybe I can understand that my stepfather doesn't believe who I am. But you of all people, mama, you should know who I am and what burns within me. Mama, you should know. Don't you know? I must be about my father's business. And the second rebuke is, by the way, that man is not my daddy. I've got to be about my father's business. And you can hear the daddy issues. I've said things so similar growing up. That's not my daddy. Because it didn't feel like he was fathering me. Daddy issues. It's not just in his growing up life. But let me show you some stuff that he maybe we don't even want to think about Luke 9 59 there's a disciple that wishes to follow Jesus to the ends of the world and so Jesus wants him to come and the man says well you know my father's sick and not doing well we're very close let me just go bury him and then the rest of my life is yours and Jesus said let the dead bury the dead now how does that happen zombies out there digging graves right How does the dead bury the... Jesus is saying you are trying to make eternal decisions based on carnal and natural and temporal things. You've got to think eternal when you're making eternal decisions. But it looks like he's saying, forget your father. In fact, we find in other places... Luke 14 to 26, if any man come to me and hate not his mother, father, sister, brother, he cannot be my disciple. How about that one? It's almost like Jesus is starting to start a club. You know, I'm going to get disciples. We're going to have this club. We're going to have this thing. So, hey, you you want to be a part of it? Yeah, I want to be a part. Do you hate your daddy? Well, no. Well, forget you. <laughs> you know, we built tree houses out in, Maybe not Louisiana, but other places that we build tree houses. And, and then once we finish the tree houses as kids, we paint on the side. No girls allowed. Cootie givers. I mean, what are we thinking, right? And it's like we're making this club very much just what we want. And it's like Jesus is doing that. Even in the text we read here "Call no man your father. Now, I've stretched that a little bit so you can see how strong it looks in the scripture. Why didn't Jesus just say something like this? Well, you know, if you're going to come to follow me as a Christian, then there's going to be decisions you make that your parents and your... They're not going to be real happy about. No, he said, you want to follow me? You got to hate father. That seems to be a discrepancy. We, we know absolutely that... The Ten Commandments tells us we are to honor our father and our mother. In fact, this is one of the first promises, uh, one of the first commandments with promise. That if you honor your father and mother, your day should be long upon the earth. We find Jesus fighting for that commandment in the New Testament. When they were taking traditions and saying, hey, we're going to use this for this situation. Therefore, we don't have to honor our father and mother with this finance. We're setting it apart for that. And Jesus told them that you're, you're doing wrong through your tradition. Jesus fights for it. So what is this seeming discrepancy that he's honoring father and mother, love your father, and then saying you got to hate dad? What we need to know about this to give us revelation understanding is that Jesus thought Hebrew. The disciples thought Hebrew. Does that make sense to you? If we learn a different language, most of us, let's say we learn French, most of us would have to think English and in our mind translate it to the French words that we learn. But we think English. Jesus absolutely did that. And we find this true because he would just slip out and say Hebrew all the time. He's on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabbathini. The disciples are the same way. They, they take things like the pool of Bethesda, by the way, which is beautiful. And John says Bethesda means sent. Bethesda doesn't mean sent. But if you go back to the Hebrew... The Hebrew word of that pool of Bethesda means sent. So he's thinking Hebrew. You've got to understand this is the way they're thinking. And knowing that when Jesus says, call no man father, there's something powerful about the Hebrew word translated into English father. It is the very first word in the Hebrew dictionary. Father. The word would actually be transliterated awb, A-W-B, awb. It means more than fatherhood. It means principal source. Primary source. Now that makes sense to call it father because you've got to have a primary source that fathers things. But in the Hebrew mentality and understanding this word father or ob, it means that that is your primary source. So everything that source is, you can be if you're the child. You are sourced from a primary principle, individual, or thing. And because that's your source, that's what you can be. The scripture is full of instances like this that talk about you can't get sweet water out of a bitter creek. You can't get oranges out of an avocado tree. That the source is what you get And this is the understanding. In fact, this is why the Hebrews have this strong, strong idea about lineage. Because if they can trace their lineage back to a powerful primary source, then everything that source is, they can be. This is why they keep telling Jesus stuff like, Our father is Abraham. Our father is Moses. And Jesus keeps saying, no, it's not. Because if your primary source was Abraham, Abraham loved me. You would love me. But you're of a different source. Your father is Satan. So this primary source is huge in the Hebrew thinking. In fact, if you start reading the Word of God, you'll get to Chronicles and you'll start reading. There's going to be page after page that says nothing except stuff like this. Lashibio begot Sisapitu. And be shoppy too, but get blood. And when we get to that in our bread reading, we're like, yeah, done that. Because that means absolutely nothing to us. It's even in the gospels as they begin meticulously to give the lineage of Christ and bring him back to the prophesied promise of the Son of David. Because the primary source is so important. Not so much with us. This is a principle we find in the Old Testament. I want to quickly move past this. But the Bible says the sins and the iniquities of the father visit upon the children to the third and fourth generation. That means when we are born, the iniquities of our father, our grandfather, our great grandfather to the fourth generation. We are born with those tendencies and iniquities. I know we don't like to hear that. But that's scripture. Those that study humans' uh, behavior today tell us that individuals are born differently. Some are born with addictive tendencies, some are born with different uh, morality issues. We don't want to hear that, but that's true. Because the sins of the father are visited upon the children. But the good news is the scripture tells us those that love the Lord and keep his commandments, the sure mercies of David are shown to them for thousands of generations. You want to know how you break generational curse? Please hear me. It's not just being born into the family of God through repentance and baptism in His name and in the Holy Ghost, but it's loving the Lord and keeping His commandments. That's how you resource your primary source. So, very important that we understand this principle and this concept of who we are and not having an understanding of Bound by generational curses, but set free because of our primary source. I, uh, I will admit to you today that uh, this has been difficult for me to receive this revelation. Because raised in a oneness apostolic church, we were kind of hid from calling God our Father. And I've Sunday school all my life. I know there's one God, but now I've studied it, and I know there's one God. But I've heard Deuteronomy 6 and 4 since I was we. In fact, we teach our kids, how many gods are there, Jimmy? Huh? Oh, look, he's talking. There's one God. He's got such great revelation. I mean, we do silly things like that. When's the last time you heard a oneness apostolic preacher preach about the baptism of Christ? You know why we don't? Is because you've got Christ in the water, you've got the Holy Ghost like a dove, and a voice of the Father from heaven. Now we've got no problem with that. We know that God is omnipresent; He is present everywhere. He can be right here in our midst, and He can be down there in the next church service, and over the and across. The, we have no problem with that. But the reason why we don't preach it is we don't want our new people to be confused. God forbid that someone on social media hears us and thinks we're Trinitarian. We're we're warped in this. And so we're trying to protect a revelation. Here's what's important to understand. When Simon Peter has the proper revelation of who Jesus Christ is, he doesn't say, oh, I know who you are. You are God in flesh. You are holy God and holy flesh. That's the way we want to explain it in our culture. But what he said is this. I know who you are. You are the son of the living God. Now, wait a minute. That sounds almost like second in the Trinitarian until you understand the Hebrew mindset that if he is saying you are the son of God, then everything that God is is headquarters in you, which is what we understand and know is true. But then we're blown away because Jesus said, These things you see me do, these things and greater than this shall you do also. Why? Not just because you are born into the family, but you love the Lord and keep his commandments. And now you're joint heirs with Christ. And everything that God is is rightfully yours. So what is this crazy dichotomy? We don't have to hide our revelations or protect them. In fact, I would say that the baptism of Jesus is one of the best daddy issue messages. Because when Jesus is in the water, he hasn't opened one blinded eye, hasn't stopped one deaf ear. All he's doing is immersion himself to the caller and the anointing that's upon his life as Messiah. And a voice from heaven, the Father says, that's my boy. Yeah. And I am well pleased. You're talking about getting rid of daddy issues. All he's doing is saying, I'm committing fully. And instantly there's that approval and that respect and that value for who he is and the life that he will lead next three and a half years. So this is where I find myself today, having to relook and rework what all this is. We as preachers that are oneness apostolics, we will read an entire text that talks about the Father this, the Father that, the Father this, and then we'll preach an entire me- We'll read it right, and then we'll teach an entire message and never call God Father. Understanding in the Old Testament that God is not called Father. There's about six times that He is, and all of them are prophetic. In fact, one of the greatest ones is Isaiah 9 and 6, which says, unto us a child, a son, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the that when the Christ is born, he'll be the everlasting father. You're talking about one of the greatest oneness messages. So when Jesus shows up on the scene in the New Testament, I'm quickly getting there, okay? He shows up on the scene and he's beginning to throw God the Father everywhere. Oh yeah, my Father God said this and I'm only going to do what my God my Father said this. And they are upset. Let, let, let me show this to you. I'll give you time to pull this one up if I can, if I can find it. I don't think I have it in front of me. I don't have it in front of me. But the scripture says this. It says that they fought all the more to crucify Jesus. Because he had not only broken the Sabbath. That's why we think they wanted to crucify him. But the scripture said he had not only broken the Sabbath. But he had called God his father. Making himself equal with God. That's the concept. He calls God his father. That means he's equal. God is his primary source. That's why they wanted to kill him. And when he's going on and on about God the Father this, he's basically saying, I'm I'm the son of God. Everything that God is, he's my primary source. I am the fullness of that. That's why they wanted to kill him. So quickly understanding our text here. Jesus is not saying. That you should deny that you have an earthly father. But he's saying when it comes to what you need from a father. Your primary source has to be your heavenly father. Because your earthly father is not created with the ability to fulfill everything you need. And so we all have daddy issues. let, Let me harp on something that just is killing me. In the past three years, we've had precious people. Let's just go back a dozen years. I could probably name to you ten individuals that are leaders among us. Many of them pastors, pastors' wives, evangelists' wives, etc. That have committed suicide. And we do not understand that. How could that be? That people just like us. Loving God, speaking in tongues, leading people can do something so selfish, regardless of why we want to make excuses and reasons, as to commit suicide. In fact, I've been to a couple of the funerals, and I'm horrified to tell you that our leaders stood behind the pulpits at funerals and have said, well, you can't examine their life just on one experience at the end. But you've got to look at what a great father they were, a great mother they were, what a great pastor, what a great writer, what a great blah, blah, blah. And if that's what our doctrine is, then what are we teaching our young people that are dealing with a spirit of depression and suicide like no generation before? Are we telling them, oh, just come be a part of the youth group for a couple of years and blow your brains out and everything's fine because it wasn't the last? If that's what we're teaching, that's what we're going to deal with. But the reason we teach that is because we just don't understand. Because they spoke in tongues like we did. They felt the anointing like we did. But that's not the issue. The issue is daddy issues. And in this oneness apostolic life, we have not allowed God to be our father. You know what John tells us? John tells us that now is the time when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. But do you know we sing a zillion songs about Jesus and about God, We're crying out loud about the atmosphere, about all kind of stuff. And I can think of maybe three songs that we really worship Father. Now if you think Trinitarians have this revelation, they don't. They call Him God the Father, they pray to Him, but they don't let Him be their Father. And the Bible said true worshipers. There's a difference between worshipers and true worshipers, evidently. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship. And we worship everything else. In fact, when we talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost, we tell you, come down and talk to Jesus. Give me the Holy Ghost, Jesus. Holy Ghost, come inside me. And the Scripture tells us that the Holy Ghost is the gift, the promise of the Father. We struggle so much with this gifting and and receiving it because we think we got to ask a holy Jesus instead of a loving Father. We struggle with healings. We struggle with miracles. We struggle with the supernatural because we don't understand that who we're asking is our Father. I could give you a list of verses. I don't have them in front of me. About over and over how the Bible says, if you pray in secret, it's your father that rewards your blessing. You fast and say, your father that will give to you. It's over and over about your father, your father. In fact, when the disciples said, we want to know how to communicate with God, Jesus said, say this, Our father. I'm telling you, for years I prayed to Jesus and to the Holy Ghost and to the Lord because that's the way I was raised. And the first time I saw the Word of God tell me to call Him Father, it changed me. And now all that condemnation I've been dealing with, all these issues of feeling like I'm never even going to go to heaven because I'm not perfect like I need to be perfect. All this pressure of works that the nominal world puts upon us which is partly true, by the way. All these pressures of these things began to mount up on me until I feel all this condemnation, until I realize my Father has prepared a place for me, and He will bend over backwards to do anything and everything He possibly can to get me in, just like I would. In fact, the Scripture says, if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Last point. I stood beside my stepfather when my half-sister, you know, the angel, came up to him and said, "Um, Dad, I need $50. And that blew me away because I'm pretty sure he was about to backhand her and kick her through the goalpost of life, right? But instead, he smiled. Just kind of hugged her a little bit, ticeled her hair, went into his wallet, found the secret compartment where he kept the big bills, pulled out a 50, and put. and he didn't ask her anything, and they laughed and shit. And my jaw hit the ground because I'd have been scared to death to ask my dad for $5. Difference between me and her, she knows she has a dad that loves her. Me, I'm not so sure. In fact, I'm almost positive that if I asked him for 50 cents, he would say, do you know how many children I have to feed? You're not worthy of 50 cents is the underlying. Have you done your chores, your works? Have you done all of your chores? Do you deserve this $5? Are you responsible enough? Do you think that you're worthy? What are you going to use this for? All the things that I thought he would say if I asked him for even $1, And she just asked him for 50 because she knows she has a loving father. We have problems with depressions in the church. People that got the Holy Ghost are still dealing with depressions. I'm closing if musicians would come. We got people that are Holy Ghost filled and speak in tongues that have anger issues. We got people absolutely that are children of God. They are faithful. They are great stewards. And they're dealing with And it's not because you're not a good person, and it's not because you're not really saved, and you're not really filled with the Holy Ghost, and because you have made this mistake. No, that's that's all what the enemy's trying to tell you. The problem is, is that you've not let God be your father. And if you allow Him to be your father, these daddy issue things will just fall off of you. Can't speak in tongues enough to get over depression. We've tried it. Have we not tried it? Can't speak in tongues enough to get past anger, fear. Can't do it. We've tried it. Let's be honest and find out where the revelation is. Is that we've got spiritual daddy issues. And we desperately need to realize that God wants to be our father. Would you stand with me all over the building today? Just playing music real softly for a few moments. Let's do the altar call this way. All of us need a paradigm shift. I'm begging our musicians, write songs that praise and worship our Father. Not just Heavenly Father, I appreciate you and you're a good, good Father. But something that doesn't just mention your name, but... Something that worships you, Father. We gotta start talking differently. If I stood behind this pulpit and said, oh, let's all pray, Father God, we're here today. You looked at me like I'm in the wrong church service. But that's biblical. We don't talk like that. We need to start exhorting that way father was so good in the church service this morning oh man you got to come back tonight now there's a wacky thing about the daddy church and junk like that there's always going to be things that are out of place but we are desperately in need to understand that God is our father our primary source of fatherhood or we're continually going to be confused and hurt and broken about these stuff in our life that we're not getting over First here, if you are not even trying to hide it, but you know that you need a healing from the daddy issues in your life, like I am, then I want you to just come and stand in the front here. If you just come stand here, we're going to have a couple altar services happening here for just the next few Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.